This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Forrest Walker at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, I've been better, but I've been worse. I'm uh, I got a little bit of a head cold today, so everyone gets to hear oh, nice deep voice. It's not too bad. Well, it is Monday, and you have a podcast in your feed, like we promised. Isn't that cool? We always keep our promises. Yes, yes, I, I am very excited to get going. Now that we can finally talk about balls going into hoops and not uh, geopolitical issues and uh, <laughs> trade wars and foreign policy, like the, it's so great that we can talk about basketball. Is, is, isn't that great for a change? Yeah, uh, there has been a number of games of basketball, actual real NBA basketball that counts. It's awesome. Substantial basketball, a basketball that actually matters in six months. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be just preseason, uh, according to Kawhi Leonard, but it just does count in the standings. <laughs> right. Um, so we have two Rockets games in the books: Rockets at Bucks. I mean, Rockets versus the Bucks, and Rockets versus the Pelicans. Uh, both home games. The Rockets are one and one right now. Look, they look a little shaky. What are your overall takeaways from Week One? Oh, boy. Uh, well, weirdly, I felt like the game that they looked better in, they lost, and the game they look you know, look worse in, they won. Uh, probably due to quality of opponent. <laughs> it's funny. I feel the exact same way. It's weird. Like, that Bucks game, I thought they looked really good for three quarters. Like, really good. Like, contender good. And in that fourth quarter, just things just kind of melted away from them. And then against the Pelicans, they were just kind of really shaky – on defense and it seemed like it carried over from that fourth quarter that bucks game yeah that game uh in an overarching sense really looked like a game that they were required to play by league rules (laughs) yeah (laughs) so they kind of they kind of turned it on at the end a little bit when they just really had to get it done but most of that game they just looked like they were there because there was no other choice isn't it strange how like the rockets have played the pelicans like really close for like three years now like do you think that's an alvin gentry thing could be. I mean, he's a pretty he's a pretty quick guy, and, uh, and he's got some talent down there, and they have some shooting. Oh boy, they have some shooting, uh, especially against Houston. Right, and, and I'm more so re- referring to like the fact that he and Mike coach together in Phoenix. Like, do do you think it's like uh, like, he like knows all his tricks? Yeah, yeah. Like, it sounds like a really stupid thing to suggest, but like the more and more like games we get of Rockets and Pelicans, like the more it, it feels like like. This is the one team that they can't blow out. 
Like, this is the one team <laughs> that they can't just get a strong lead against and contain. Like, th- this team just keeps on fighting, no matter who's on the court. It-, it was like this when Anthony Davis was on the Pelicans, when DeMarcus Cousins was on the Pelicans. And last night, it was like uh, it was like that with Drew Holiday and Zion missing the game. And, and they still managed to be competitive. I-, I think the pace doesn't bother the Pelicans at all. Yeah, they're and this team especially is very happy to run. Uh, I think you might have something there, and it may it may speak to a larger concern about D'Antoni's willingness and ability to alter his rotations to the situation. That it might just be that you know Gentry kind of knows what he's going to do in most cases, and uh, you know D'Antoni is happy with being predictable. I think I think he just wants to find a predictable a predictable that wins. So let's talk about that first game against the Bucks. Uh, what's one thing that really stuck out to you on the opening game? Uh, honestly, that they just forgot how to shoot toward the end of the game. Right. I cannot, I cannot believe that everyone except Russell Westbrook went one for fifteen in the, in the fourth quarter, and he was what four of seven in that quarter. It is truly bizarre that James Harden and Russell Westbrook just swapped shooting percentages from three. Is, is, <laughs> is it, is it, isn't that crazy? Uh yeah, it's crazy and uh, also not great. <laughs> that 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 game in particular, like the second half, like the the Rockets, like I feel like if their shooting was was on par, like with with what it normally is, like if they're shooting like thirty five to thirty seven percent from three, I I kind of feel like their defense is better, and, and like I I really do feel like if they hit some of these shots to kind of put the Bucks away, specifically those Eric Gordon shots in the fourth quarter, which were really really odd like they like he was really open like he missed he was like one for four in the fourth quarter or something like that he missed all four and they and those were all those were all clean looks and I really feel like if they hit those shots if James Harden hits his shots like this ends up being closer to a 20 point blowout than it was a loss like like I really do feel like the defense was feeding off of the offense struggling so poorly in that first game yeah, and I think we've seen this for a number of years too. Like the the Harden Rockets in general, when their shot stops falling, their defensive ability and effort fall off too. Everything just falls uh, apart, right? Yeah, they like it looks like they. I don't want to say they hang their heads, but just like I think that like a sense of doom seems to arrive, right? Like oh, once they can't hit their shots, everything's frustrating. Like the thing that they're supposed to be good that good at is not working, and it just looks like they lose focus or something. Right, like they, it just kind of comes apart a little bit, and this has happened as far back as the bad year that we've seen this happen. Right, where like the first thing to go is the shot, and then once the shot goes, everything else can like fall apart as well. Right, like, and with Mike D'Antoni teams in particular, like they seem to play on a string, and that their offense feeds their defense. So when their offense is doing really well, their defense tends to be solid. Like like those two things are interconnected. Like it's never you never get a one you never get one year where their offense is like elite and their defense is god awful. You never get that. It's always in the middle, and I it, it it seems to be because that offense like like there there's like a momentum shift there, right? Like it, it, it when your offense is clicking, it makes you feel good, makes you want to try on defense. It, it it's felt like it's felt like that for Mike D'Antoni these past three years in Houston. Yeah, and also if, uh, and of course, the obvious that if you hit shots, they're taking the ball out of the basket, which is a lot easier to set up your right. defense for than if it's a live ball. Right. Um, are you concerned about their defense as a whole these past two games? Like, like just as a general question, like, are, are, 
is this a red flag how they've how they played uh i think it's like a yellow flag i'm about as concerned with the defense as i have been for the last like season worth of time i guess in that they have a pretty similar lineup of guys uh and their defense is probably has a pretty similar ceiling to what it was last season which uh how good that is is it's still kind of unclear it seems like it might be good enough to get some real things done but yeah i don't i mean they, they look like i said like they're about as good they have about as good of potential on defense as they were last year uh it's just kind of more of the same which is not exactly a red flag because they did pretty well despite that but it's also not good because they really would like to have actively good defense so i say a yellow flag it's something to be concerned with but may not be a huge problem depending on how how good their offense can be you know it's funny i kind of i half agree with you because like i think it's a yellow flag i i I kind of don't really my thoughts really haven't changed on on what i think their defensive ceiling could be from from preseason but i also think that their ceiling might be higher because if you look at their defensive rebounding rate they're second in the league and I, and that has a lot to do with <laughs> yeah, that's good <laughs> yeah like like that that has a lot to do with with their new additions they're just more athletic this is a much more athletic basketball team than what we saw last year i think if they if that stays the same i think they can clean up a lot of this i really do i, I like i'm watching their defense schematically i don't think there's anything principled wrong with it probably not i mean my biggest concern regarding rebounding is that i've also Tyson Chandler has looked very good for rebounding out there, but that's a guy that you can't count on day game in and get in game out. You know, it's a guy who's going to, he's going to miss games just because he is extremely old. Uh, so he's hoping with that as well, but he, he won't always be able to do that. It's funny. I had Tyson Chandler on my rundown because like he's looked so good these first two games. And it's a great role for him. Yeah, and and I had the same thought that you just expressed right there. Like, can you count on this keeping still? Like, can you count on this staying the course? Like, he looks so damn springy right now. And maybe that's just a case of him not playing basketball really for a while. <laughs> but, I mean, like, he, I don't know. On offense, offense at least, he looks good. Like, defensively, it's obviously, like, you don't have much hopes for a backup center at age 39 like to do much defensively right and and i don't think that that was really being asked of him when the rockets acquired him but offensively he looks like a really solid role man like you see him connecting for lobs with 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 russ and harden and that's something you didn't see from nene these past two years like i it, it I feel like at least at the very least you can say tyson is a small upgrade over nene in that department I think so. He's got like he's got a basketball IQ which is clearly very high, right? He's been through this so many times and he knows like what the prudent thing to do is. I mean, you can look at the way he rebounds. Right? He 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 rebounds not by being like the fastest dude on the floor, but he just has a great feel for where the ball's going to go and knows how to, you know, up manage his body properly. So, I think he is a very positive pickup. It's too bad that he's 39, but that's why they were able to get him for that price. So, yeah, it surprised me because I I got to be honest, I did not expect much from Tyson. Like I really didn't. Like I I thought he was going to be more so when when Nene was last year, and which which was fine and was probably not enough for what what they really needed at, at that position at backup center. But this might be enough to hold the to carry them over until they they try and get bodies mid season, which they're obviously going to do. But um, I think the Rockets are good there at center. 
I, I like this was kind of a concern for a lot of people. Like, are do the rock are the Rockets kind of shallow at center? And I'm like, uh, I think they're kind of fine. Does Mike D'Antoni at the moment trust Clint Capella to play a lot of minutes? Because talked to him at practice today, and it seemed like um, like he's not really satisfied where, where Clint is defensively. And and you watch that opening game, and Mike D'Antoni was closing the game with PJ Tucker guarding Brook Lopez on these post ups, and and he he stood by that decision post game. He, he just said no, like we like that lineup against that matchup, like that's something we want to do. And it's kind of bizarre because, like, that's kind of what Clint Capella is there, there for. He's there yeah. to be, be big. He's there to try and guard those kind of guys. It's funny because it's, uh, it's kind of like he's going a, meta, going a metamorphosis to flop around what we thought about him. And that he was previously uh, thought of as, you know, a, a, a pretty good rim protector with a lot of potential there. And now he's really good at rim running. He's just like he's excellent at getting down the court extremely quickly and finding his way through the basket for the lob. And it feels like his defensive aptitude is, if not worse, definitely much less trusted by the team at this point. I still have confidence in in, in Clint's defensive potential, and that's because I've seen good years from him defensively. And I also know his capabilities when the Rockets tend to switch. Like he is just so good at that particular skill. His rim protection is still to be, you know, that still needs work. And I think that's that's what Mike D'Antoni is referring to here because the Rockets are not switching as much as they have in the past. They're playing this this more traditional drop coverage scheme mixed in with switching. Uh, and with the drop coverage scheme, you need to be good at rim protection. And Clint hasn't been able to justify that so far. Now, um, it's again, it's only been two games. I'm trying not to take too much away from it. But the, but the Rockets playing small ball a lot is definitely something that you've noticed. Uh, Mike D'Antoni even hinted at possibly playing Cephalosha at, at center <laughs> at some point this season, which a lot of people are upset at. And I'm just kind of like... Hey, he played that during the preseason. Like, wh- why is that such a surprise to you people? Like, this is not some, like, breaking news. Like, this is something he was definitely thinking about. And he's, I don't know. Like, I'm not opposed to seeing that look. But the lack of confidence in Clint Capella is definitely something t- of note so far. But it's only been two games. It- it's tough to tell. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see some more games to see how it goes. Uh, and we'll get our chance because, guess what? They have 80 more of these things. Yeah, they do have 80 more of these things. Um, one other thing that stuck out at me, Russell Westbrook looks like really good. Like really good. He looks a lot different than in preseason. I mean, I guess that that will fit in with the idea that he's kind of figuring out how he's going to work with these guys. But uh, I am surprised by how much better he looks than he did during the preseason, in which he still looked like he was kind of figuring out and also was hoisting a lot of, of, uh, of poorly planned out three-pointers. Like, the thing about Russell Westbrook is that he's great when he goes to the rim or hits those threes anyway. Yeah, and, and Mike was suggesting that um, that that Russ wasn't really – he was holding back until until the season started like, because he, he plays much better when there is the pressure of the bright lights. And, and I, I guess this is kind of proof. Like, I, he, I guess he was, he was holding back on everybody because I, I, I was with you. Like, during the preseason, I was like, man – he looks really rough. Like there are a lot of people going into the season that thought that Russ was due for a comeback season of some sort, including uh, Matt Moore, who's on the podcast this summer. But in the preseason, that looked really, really suspect. 
And uh, the first two games, like, I got to be honest, I didn't expect any game this season that Russell Westbrook would outplay James Harden. And he's done that in the first two games. It's really encouraging. Like, he, he looks a, he looks really, really springy. He looks really good first two games. Yeah, I mean, he was the only guy who could do anything at the end of that Bucks game. And uh, he was just really active the whole time against the Pelicans, especially on a night when they uh, they very much needed somebody to do something <laughs> against the Pelicans because it was not coming from James Harden. Yeah, yeah, and... and um... And, and, and Russ was there. He was he he was to his credit. He really showed out in that second half specifically because the Rockets were in in danger of losing that game. I mean they they lost the lead and it seemed like the Pelicans were going to build upon it and possibly run away with it. And Russ really pulled them out of it and helped them win that game. And I'm not sure what would have happened if Russ wasn't there. To be honest, they probably lose that game. They probably lose that game by a lot. And um, it's encouraging because there there were a lot of people who thought, including myself, that the Rockets had made a mistake in in that trade. Like the like, Chris Paul looked really good on night one. He looked he looked really good for the Oklahoma City Thunder on night one. And I'm sure there are a lot of Rockets fans who who noticed that. And um and and for for a lot of people, there was this worry that the Rockets had made this mistake. In uh in trading away in trading away Chris Paul, and it seems like through the first two games, we at least don't have any evidence that that is the case. Yeah, kind of so far so good on Russell Westbrook, and we'll have to see more as we keep as we move onwards because I mean these are these are the kind of games that would happen in in uh, Oklahoma City, and we in Houston were not as excited about when he was not on our team. Well, don't say uh, we. <laughs> don't don't say okay. yeah okay fine well that those are the kind of games that a lot of people in Houston were not as excited about when he was in in Oklahoma City uh yeah. and we'll see how it continues I mean uh he's definitely racking up triple doubles I'd like to see him rack up triple doubles in games that they win a little more comfortably than that uh than that Pelicans game so uh, if we can see some of that I think that would be great though we I feel like we don't really have a great a great feel for like how much James Harden's bringing to the table yet either though. Are you concerned at all about James Harden? Let's talk about that right now because he's, he shot the ball really poorly in these first two games. I think he's shooting like under 15% from three. Yeah. He's like three for 23 or something like that. Something crazy. It's, it's been really bad. Are, are you at all concerned about that? I'll, I'll be honest. Like I've seen James Harden have stretches like this before from three. And for me, when I when I saw those shooting numbers, I'm just kind of like, yeah, but like he's do I really suspect this to continue? And I'm just kind of like, no, I, I don't. I don't even have like a yellow flag for this. It's here. <laughs> yeah, it's just a thing that I suspect to go away. But do you are you at all worried about it right now? I mean, it's not like he's taking terrible shots, you know. Uh, if he was, if this was because he was taking like a pile of one legged threes all the time, they looked awful. That'd be a different matter. Uh, but he's basically just doing the same stuff he did last year and the year before that. It's just not going in right now. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to do with it other than just wait and see how long it goes. Like, if this really continues on for a while, then I'll be concerned. But I don't know. I mean, right now it just looks maybe they're just uh, suffering from the uh, the the cross-Pacific curse. You know, where, where teams who go and play over in Asia in the preseason seem to be sluggish at the start of a season. Uh, so, Maybe they're just still recovering from that. I don't know. Uh, 
it depends how long it goes on, but for now, it's bad shooting is bad shooting, and you can't really do anything about it or honestly worry about it very much. Yeah, you know it's funny. The Rockets before they were on that trip, they 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 denied that it would be a thing, like th- that that they would come <laughs> yeah. back sluggish. And, and, and literally the first game back, they looked really sluggish. And and uh, Mike D'Antoni was was just like, yeah, it might might be jet lag. <laughs> like it, it, it was just fun. like like they they did not realize yeah. how much of a toll it would take on their body until they actually did it. And um, it it might be a thing. It might be a thing. Like it, it, we've definitely seen enough data to see that it's affected a, a ton of NBA teams in the past, especially contenders that want to start the season off strong. They've had this issue with coming back from these Asia trips uh, really jet lagged and re- like there's, you're just kind of disoriented when you come back from a trip like that. Your, your hours aren't correct. You, you, you just, you don't know when, when it's morning, when it's night, you're sleeping at odd hours. Like it, it, it's definitely a, thi- a thing on your body. I'd say, yeah. I mean, and the fact that everyone's shooting badly also suggests that maybe it could be some of this and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll round back into form. I would guess. I mean, if we if we get to be like, uh, you know, it's the it's a couple weeks into November, they're still shooting horrendously every night. Then we have a much different discussion. But right now, it's a couple of games that I'm shooting badly, and it's not really that surprising. And moreover, it, it's funny that it kind of uh, it kind of backs up one of the theories of how to guard the Rockets, which is that uh, you just hope they miss their threes. <laughs> and if they miss their threes, then they're probably going to have a hard time, right? So. Uh, the, the the first couple teams have have to some degree taken that approach that well if they miss their threes we got a chance and they both had a chance uh, but if they stop missing their threes we'll kind of see uh, what this team looks like at the top of its potential yeah it's funny it's not just James Harden like it, it, this this kind of extended to Eric Gordon too Eric Gordon shot the three ball really poorly these first two games as well all the attention's been on James Harden obviously but Eric Gordon has been just as bad. Uh, and, and this is a thing with Eric Gordon. He, he started last season shooting the three ball really poorly too. Now, eventually he bounced back from it and, and shot really well towards the end of the season. But this is this is a thing. Like This is a thing that such a monitor because if they, sh- if they continue to shoot poorly, it's going to take a lot more from guys like Russ, from guys like Daniel House, from guys uh, like Clint Capella to help them dr- to kind of help them drag out of it because it's really tough for an offense like Houston to be efficient when they're shooting so poorly when they're shooting that poorly and and your offense is so heavily predicated on shooting the three ball like it, it really is, it really does become a thing of like yeah we need these guys to to really get it together here. Yep. Uh, both. I mean, the, the 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 bad news is that maybe they don't, but the good news is they almost certainly will. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide, low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash blue wire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the basics. Quality blades for just $2 a pop. It's super convenient. Blades refilled or delivered directly to your home on your schedule. And you don't even need a subscription. There's literally no risk here, guys. Forrest, would I lie to you? Don't answer that. But seriously, if you don't like your shave, they'll give you a full refund. It's as simple as that. 
Listeners to my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Let's, let's talk about how the Rockets have fared opening week as compared to the other contenders. Well, uh, it's surprising. Midway through the week, the verdict would have been a lot worse. But right now, right now it's actually fairly encouraging, I think, uh, given how much everyone else has looked shakier than expected. Yeah, it's funny because like you don't want to take away too much from the first week of the season. Like, <laughs> Yeah things happen every year like we're constantly reminded don't take too much from the first week of the season don't take too much from the first week of the remember season. when the yeah, remember when the magic were like five and oh after the first couple of weeks uh, a few years ago right the frisky <laughs> magic i remember that yes yes like this is a thing <laughs> constantly like we, we we put too much weight into the first week of the season in reality we won't know what to think of things until like 20 games in like like this is this is something that i try to hammer home Every single year, it often gets misplaced. Like, like it, it, this is something that just needs to be reminded to fans. Like, you, we nobody knows anything yet, yet. Now we'll, we'll get. We'll, we're starting to collect data. It's very preliminary data, but until like mid-November or even probably until December, we're not going to know much about about the NBA and where things stack up. Now, as far as the other contenders, like. If you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, the Lakers are the sixth seed, the Blazers are the seventh seed, the Jazz are the eighth seed, the Rockets are tenth seed, and if you look at the Western Conference, <laughs> the Bucks are the sixth seed, the Magic are the eighth seed, the the Nets are the tenth seed. Like like all a lot of good teams are playing really poorly right now, uh, and, and I, I guess that gives you some sort of buffer to catch up later on in the season. Yeah, I mean, how much catch up there is after. Being one and one instead of two and right. zero, it's right. Uh, it's more, I guess, like how they've gone down, right? Like seeing teams be feisty, like watching the uh, the Suns beat the Clippers was surprising. <laughs> surprising. Uh, it's stuff like that, right? That that no one no one has really looked definitively the best of anybody. The Clippers kind of looked like that initially, but uh, that weird Suns loss brings some question marks. It's just, it's not so much that we really know a lot, but what we don't know. And what we don't know is that for sure the Rockets are, like, not one of the top teams. Yeah, and, and I was kind of with you there. Like, I, I was someone who predicted going the season that I had the Clippers as my number one seed in the Western Conference. So those first two games really were a good confirmation bias for me. Yeah, again, we have no idea. We have no idea. The Rockets look really shaky defensively right now, and, and they still have a lot to clean up. But again... We're in week one, and there are several, several weeks to go before we have any idea what to make of things. What have you thought about James Harden and Russell Westbrook as a duo? How has that synergy been to you? Oh, man. Uh, That's the hardest question yet because I don't really know how well to judge it due to the aforementioned James Harden shooting woes, right? I I feel like we're watching this car fire on like five out of six cylinders, and it's kind of going, but it could be a lot better. So I really want to see what it looks like once James Harden is actually putting, you know, the fear of God into opposing defenses uh, when he's out there instead of, 
being given what he wants and then clanking it all the time. Uh, I've really, I, the thing I've liked the most about this duo is how good each of their chemistry is with Clint Capella on offense. Yeah. Russ is really starting to get together with his teammates. Like, that, that is a big takeaway for me from week one. Like, like he is finding guys for really crisp passes that were often not ready for it in the preseason. Like, like he was so fast in the preseason that it was kind of a system shock, right? Like guys weren't <laughs> guys weren't yeah. ready to catch these passes, and, and now these guys these guys are getting to their spots quicker. Like PJ Tucker, like like Eric Gordon, like Clint Capel, like Tyson Chandler. Like even he had some lob chemistry going with Tyson Chandler. Like I I think that's encouraging, and that like for the Rockets, like he is starting to blend in with the other guys really well. I'm with you. It's really tough to tell, especially since the Rockets run the stagger, uh, how well they look together. I think they've looked fine, but in kind of like a B minus C plus kind of way. Yeah, like they're they're not they're not clicking in 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 the traditional sense. They're it's very much your turn, my turn, and they're playing so fast that that half court offense isn't a focus of of the offense. Like they don't really have to, you know they don't really have to clean that stuff up yet because they're just so far and above like one of the fastest teams in the NBA that they don't have to worry about half court offense when they do I think we'll start to figure things out um yeah well one, one thing I've noticed is that uh both guys off the ball have not been great uh <laughs> no, now no. Russ has been better than Harden in that I've seen him make a couple of cuts to the basket and James try to throw it to him for a lob like you've seen a couple of stuff from Russ, a couple of cuts from Russ off the ball, but in in general, both of these guys have not really shown that they're ready to play. Uh, I, I can't I can't, I can't think of the word. They're they're, they're just not moving. They're they're, well, not, they're they're not moving yeah. in the way that you want them to move off the ball. Now again, it is week one, and I hate to couch everything we say with that, but it, but it, it is important to note. But it, but that that's just that's just one thing I've noticed. Like like, it's hard to tell because they're staggering and they're playing so fast. But in in the limited moments that we've seen, it has it's been kind of clunky. It's been kind of clunky. Yeah, I mean, two games are two games. Uh, so it's not nothing, but it's not a ton either. Uh, I think that's about right. They they look like they like to play together. Uh, but it does seem like they haven't really figured out how they're going to coexist yet. Uh, they're not. The way I put it is that they don't look like they're uh, lifting each other up, right? They look like they're coexisting and not synergizing, I guess. That that is a good way to put it. The, there was a play in that Buck series where, like, it was like seven minutes to go towards the end of the third quarter, and they're like Harden threw a lob to Russ. Like it was obviously in transition, and and, and that that's where you saw like a glimmer of of hope of their of their synergy, and and, and you saw several plays. In that same Bucks game, where Hard Russ would find Harden out in the perimeter for for three, and, and that's kind of what you like to see. Now, the the problem is these plays have been kind of sprinkled in as opposed to ever present, right? So yeah. the hope is for the Rockets that these plays become more common, and that they like right now they're at like a a five percent, right? You want them to get at like eighty to ninety by the playoffs, but. This is going to be a work in progress. The the most encouraging thing for me to, is that Russ looks looks as good as he has been. 
Like there, there, there was kind of the thought in everybody's head, and I know no one ever really expressed it. Like there was the idea that hey, maybe Russ just isn't in his prime anymore. Maybe this is the start of his decline, right? Like that, that was a thought that a lot of people had, and so far that that thought has been um, has been incorrect, right? Like he, Russ looks really good. He's hitting free throws, and right. that's very good because it suggests that maybe his shot is not as busted as it was. And he's hitting threes, which yeah. Yeah. God, God knows how long that'll last, but he's hitting threes at a forty percent <laughs> clip. Uh, but on the other hand, James Harden will go back to normal too. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't really know how to end this podcast. Other than we're still very confused. Um, we, we still <laughs> the have, whole league is confusing, not just the Rockets either. Right. Uh, oh, I want to. I want to ask one more question before we leave. The point yeah, yeah. of the point of emphasis thing. Ah, uh, yes. Right. So, so. This has been a thing, like that I noticed on opening night, and has carried through for the Rockets, and it's been carried through for a, b- a bunch of other teams. Like this is the offhand stuff is being called a lot more, and what I'm really talking about is kind of the push-offs that aren't really push-offs, but look like push-offs because your arm and your elbow are kind of angled a certain way. So at first glance, it looks like you're pushing off, but it really isn't. Like those calls are being called a lot, and it's affected. Everybody in the league. Yeah, like, it's not you, just James Harden either. Yeah, it's, yes. a, it's a lot of players. Like Giannis has been fouled out twice so far, and they've only played two games. Yeah, it's so, wild. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, um, the, this is a thing that you're seeing a lot. Do you do you expect this to be a trend that holds? Like, are these points of emphasis gonna gonna bu- come up to bite the Rockets all season, or is it or is it just a beginning of the season thing? And and you think these calls are gonna be called less? I mean, they'll be called less. Uh, how much less is a question? I feel like when these points of emphasis happen, they usually have like a slightly higher baseline than the previous season of calling these things over the course of the season, but not much. Once it's like January, it's not going to be a thing anymore. It'll probably barely be a thing in December, honestly. You just wait until it figures itself out over the course of like maybe November. And then we're gonna we won't see James Harden getting so pissed off he hits himself in the face with basketballs anymore. That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> I mean, Josh Hart's face was just so priceless there. Like, it's it, like okay, like, face. he's like, like, what are you doing, my guy? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it it has gotten ridiculous at some points. Like, like there was the play in, in that Rockets Pelicans game where James Harden just had a clean point blank layup and got called for an offensive foul. <laughs> and, and 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 that's the kind of stuff that I'm sure for Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets is really frustrating. Like like that stuff needs to get cleaned up by the officiating crews. Like and and I've seen by the way, Rockets fans have a lot of paranoia with officiating. Uh, so I, w- I want to say this: like I'm watching these other games, calls like that are being made. Yeah, they're doing it league wide. Layups like that are, are getting called for offensive foul a lot, and, and, and maybe the anger there is like, well, sure, but they need to fix that. And and I think that's a fair, that's a fair point. But I want I want to say that the, the the league is not just singling out James Harden here. This is this has been a league wide thing. This this has been incredibly frustrating to watch as a basketball fan just flipping through these games. Like I I was really <laughs> excited for opening week, and and I'm I'm just like okay, so we're gonna call these now. Like we're like are we really <laughs> yeah. gonna call this stuff now? The offensive fouls may be one of the least fun things in basketball, second only to uh, reviewing of calls, which. Thank God we have more of that this season. I kind of like that there's a challenge rule, to be honest. I, I kind of like it. But at the same time, these guys are using it so early in the games. Like, these coaches don't really know. 
Like, there's no clear grasp of when when to use it. Uh, Mike D'Antoni used it in that first game right away. If they changed the call, it was the right time, right? Yes and no, because there is <laughs> there is a thing to the importance of, of the call, right? The importance of the time of the game. And, and D'Antoni talked about this after the game, right? Like, like the, there was a point where, like, yeah, the, the, there, there's always questionable calls in the second half. And if if things aren't going for you and a call gets flipped, that could be a huge momentum shifter. And well, you, I mean, it, it really mattered between the uh, Mavs and the and the Blazers. Right. Yeah. So like like this is definitely something that the coaches need to get used to, right? In terms of the point in the game, when to call it, the kind of play, because the, there are plays that are they're more pivotal to call it than other plays, right? Like an and one layup, right? That you don't think is a foul, but it gets called for an and one layup, right? Like that that that's three points on the board. Yeah, if you can erase three points, that's pretty big. I would just suspect we might also see uh, coaches using it to kind of highlight or push back against like oh things being called a particular way, right? Like if they see that a call keeps going against them in some interpretation, like the the, the refs are interpreting things in a way it's not conducive to their team. Maybe they wait until it's a pretty nasty example of it. Maybe like you know midway through the game or something. And then let the refs go and see it and say, oh, yeah, this is this is what's happening, you know. Oh, this guy's undercutting my players, you know, when they're shooting threes or something like that. And kind of, kind of use it as like a point of emphasis to, to sway the refs to move things in their direction, perhaps. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that kind of like strategic thinking. Or like you said, like the, the tactical plan of wait until a high, a high impact moment to pocket it until like the fourth quarter. Right, yeah, and I, I think I suspect that's what Dan Tony's gonna do going forward. Like, I don't think he's gonna make a first half challenge for a while again, because like, I, I suspect that that he and other coaches are finding out that man, this thing's a real weapon here. It's really weird they they lose it if they're right. That's what's weirdest to me. What do you mean? Well, like in in some sports, you know, like uh, like you do a coach, like you do a challenge. And if you if it goes your way, right? If the ref says, "Oh, you were correct," it, that is actually how it should have been called. Then they still keep their challenge flag. Oh, okay, okay. No, no, I'm with you. So, so, I, yeah, I, it, I, I, I actually like it. Like, I don't want to see too many of these, right? Like, 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 I think that I think that that was the idea going into this. Like, that's why the coaches weren't given two. That's why. Um, that's why this was tested in the G League first. Like that, there is kind of a a thing of you don't want to affect the aesthetics of the game too much. You don't want to slow it down. You don't want constant reviewing. You want there to be kind of a a trust in the officiating crew. You don't want you don't want to constantly undermine them. So I understand it from that perspective, but I I do understand what you're saying. Like like the idea that you just got it right. So why are, why is it being taken away from me? I I get it. Yeah. Because then they wouldn't have to worry about that, right? If if they got a back for getting it right, you know, then it'd be on the refs to like stop getting it wrong, you know, and they could just hold and they keep keep using it if they, the refs keep getting it wrong over and over again. So it's it's weird to me, like like I get for slower sports why it make like I get that it's a faster sport, so you don't want to have a lot of these challenges going on, but it is kind of oddly uh non intuitive that they it has the same cost if they're right or they're wrong. By the way, I'm a big fan of the green lights. Big fan of the green lights in the arena. I think the I think they can make it more dramatic. There should be big sirens that play and make a loud Ooh, noise. They should and dim the lights. All the, yeah, all the lights go low except for like they put like spotlights on the refs. 
Right. <laughs> I like I like the idea of making it more dramatic. So, so big fan of the lights. If we could add add on to it, like I'm in. I'm in. I'm into and then, the dramatics. And then, and then if and then if the home team uh, gets their challenge right, they should drop confetti. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Anything go bigger. Make, go big or go home. Anything to make this more dramatic. <laughs> well, I think that's a good ending point for this podcast. <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Again, we are now on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Go check out their Ooh. podcast. They have some good stuff up there. So follow me on Twitter at SomaliNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at D-U-N-O-T-S. Do not. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. And yeah, guys, good night. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.